The Liberating Arts seeks to articulate the enduring relevance of a liberal arts education during a time of pandemic and protest. Through our online platform, we will host a series of conversations with writers, academics, institutional leaders, and public intellectuals about the nature of the liberal arts, their formational purpose, and their moral significance in a time of great cultural disruption. We hope to inspire viewers and listeners to learn more about the liberating effects of these arts on their own lives. To find out more, please visit www.theliberatingarts.org or find us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, or YouTube. Welcome to the Liberating Arts Definition Channel. I'm Rachel Griffiths, Assistant Professor of English and Director for the Integration of Faith and Learning at Sterling College in Central Kansas. And today I'm hosting a conversation with Dort University President Dr. Eric Hoekstra about the relationship between liberal arts and a Christian education. So Dr. Hoekstra, I'm wondering if you could start by describing Dort University, um, its history, its distinctive mission, and you might also say a little bit about yourself, um, how long you've been at Dort. I know that you've been in more than one role at Dort as well. That's great, Dr. Griffiths. And can we just agree on Rachel and Eric from here on in? Okay, yes, I will call you Eric, yes. We're colleagues. Uh, this is great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity um, to speak. So, yeah, I moved to Dort 24 years ago to teach in our business department. I was a professor of, of business just for three years, and I left for eight years to run a company here in Iowa. Came back as provost 12 years ago, served in that role for four years before being asked to serve as president. And I'm starting my ninth year as president this year, or actually well into my ninth year as president. So, yeah, Dort is an interesting school, um, but I'll, let me start with the liberal arts and myself first. So I was a history and philosophy major in college. I went to a CCCU school, Trinity Christian College in Chicago. I was pre-seminary and my majors were history and philosophy, took two years of Greek. So as a student, a college student, I was definitely into the humanities and, and what would be more con traditionally considered the liberal arts. But uh, didn't have a crisis of faith or a crisis of vocation, but in my middle of my senior year of college, didn't think that I was called to go to seminary, at least not right away. So ran some businesses right out of college um, and then never went back to seminary. Got a master's degree in international business in the Netherlands at the Rotterdam School of Management. Um, worked back in industry before becoming a business professor. So um, yeah, my relationship with what would be considered the traditional liberal arts as a student was very thick. Um, and uh, yeah, I love those. Finished a doctorate at Iowa State University while I was away from Dort, and now again, uh, provost and president. As it relates to Dort University, Dort is a very unique school in its relationship with liberal arts as well as, as a school itself. So started in 1955, um, pretty traditional first maybe 10 years. Um, prepared a lot of teachers. Uh, the reason this university was started was there was a dearth of teachers, particularly for Christian schools in the Midwest. Um, our religious tradition had sent most of our students prior to 1955 to Calvin University in Grand Rapids. The challenge for the all these farm towns was those students wouldn't come back. They'd go to Grand Rapids to get a degree and they'd stay out east. And the people out here were saying, we're sending all of our students away and we never get them back. So we need a college out here to prepare teachers for our particularly Christian schools. And so our teacher education is still our largest major at Dort. 
and has been part of our history for 65 years. But about 10 years in, Dort, uh, Dort's a reformed university. And one of the attributes of being a reformed university is this aspect that every occupation is, has equal standing in God's kingdom. Whether you're a plumber or a pastor, if you will, um, our calling is just unique to our image bearing in terms of who God created us to be. And so very quickly, Dort started an agriculture major. Very quickly, Dort started an engineering major. And those are now two of our top five programs. And so um, I kind of have this interesting relationship with Dort. Sometimes some of our alumni will call Dort a liberal arts college. And I gently correct them. I said, you know, we are absolutely committed to the core. Um, in fact, our engineering majors, I tease with our head of engineering. I say, really, if we would transcript our engineering majors differently, they would get the equivalent of a minor in the humanities simply by virtue of the amount of core they take at Dort. But then they also pass the fundamentals of engineering exam at rates, um, let's say, rivaling Stanford University. So that just by way of an introduction to myself and, and who Dort is, and then a little bit on the liberal arts as well. Right. Thank you for that introduction. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about what you said um, about um, your gentle correction that Dort is not a liberal arts institution. Um, so um, how, how would you define the liberal arts? Um, and then how would you say a Christian education is um, different or doesn't fit you know, into that definition of the liberal arts? Thanks, Rachel. You know, I, I, I want to be absolutely clear as I, as I delineate these lines that Dort is a school absolutely committed that every one of our students will take, you know, credits in English, in history, in theology, in philosophy, in communications, in uh, sociology, along with whatever major they have. So we are absolutely committed to those disciplines that would be more historically thought of as the liberal arts. I guess very technically, if we go into Carnegie and those kind of things, ICH Liberal Arts College or Liberal Arts University that has the majority of their majors majoring in those fields. That's how I would say, okay, that's one line of delineation. Then when I hear schools in the CCCU call themselves a Christian liberal arts college, I take it up at two different levels. One is then I'd ask them to say, do most of your majors are, are, is the majority of your majors within those disciplines that would be considered in the humanities or in the traditional liberal arts? And if then you're a Christian college, I think you're okay calling yourself a Christian liberal arts college. But I think many of our schools, the CCCU schools, are a lot more like Dort in that their majors are things like teacher education, um, engineering, in our case, agriculture, business, nursing, and then to call yourself a Christian liberal arts school, I just don't think, I think we've used liberal arts to, as a, a synonym, if you will, for a residential campus that has a high percentage of PhD professors teaching undergraduates, uh, a, a very extensive student services and a residential component that talks about faith formation and social formation along with academic. That's become our our synonym for what we mean by Christian liberal arts. And that's fine. I understand it from a marketing perspective that that's something that people understand. But then there's a second piece that I, I take on from a Christian worldview perspective is that my understanding, if you really go back and look at the tradition of the liberal arts, that some of that comes from a, a Greek Roman piece that, that 
we are locked in bondage as humans until our minds are free. If you think of liberal, we have become free in our minds or we become more human or we express the flourishing of our full humanity when we study philosophy and English. And that's what liberates us from the life is what short brutish and you know that and that I absolutely go against as a Christian that I don't think our learning is what makes us more image bearing or or frees our minds we are liberated through Christ's blood his atonement and then we're liberated to to live for him and living for him then means carrying out our callings and if our callings are if you're to be a writer well, then you need to study English and poetry and philosophy to be a great writer. Then you should study those disciplines that allow you to be who God called you to be. And then I would even say, if you're an engineer, I do think that, that to be live out your full calling beyond just what you do at work for money, you're also going to be a, a parent. You're also going to be a community member. You're also going to be a voter. You're also going to be maybe a volunteer on school boards or church boards. Well, then I think it's incumbent on you to study the breadth of God's creation through the core program or through the liberal arts. But that's a distinction that I think when we say Christian liberal arts, we're actually adding two adjectives that have some inherent contradictory nature to them, if that makes sense to you and your listeners. Yeah, no, that's um, really, really helpful for, for thinking about something that um, predates Christianity. Right, and I, I think that I think that you're um, really drawing attention to important things that we need to think about. Um, but if any, in, my, any of my faculty are listening to this, I just want to say one more time: we are absolutely committed to those disciplines that are historically thought of as liberal arts or the humanities or the core program for all of our students. Because I don't just want technocrats that are in computer science or business or culture, and that's all they are. I, I want them to be wise people, fully flourishing in the full image bearing that they're created. So um, yeah, no, as a as a humanities faculty, I'm always happy to hear those kinds of things from my administrators as well. So I, I understand why it's important to say that. Um, so, um, so we've already kind of um, gotten a little to this next question, but in a lot of conversations about the liberal arts, as you pointed out, um, this goes back to, you know, before the birth of Christ, um, ancient Greece, we're talking about figures like Plato and Socrates, you know, where we're tracing that tradition back to. Um, so are there thinkers and institutions that you trace your work and Dort works, uh, Dort's work back to? Sure. Well, you know, Dort is one of those, those um, historically Dutch reformed um, institutions, sister school to Calvin University that I've already mentioned um, in Canada, uh, Redeemer University in Ancaster, Ontario, uh, King's University in Edmonton. We all come from this Dutch Kuyperian tradition. And, and I would say that um, there's a whole, what's called reformational philosophy or reformational thought. Abraham Kuyper, um, Herman Doiweird, uh, Vollenhoven. And they really, in that tradition, uh, there's a number of things that, that there's a modal scale um, that, that Doiweird and Vollenhoven worked on to understand the world in different modalities. I believe there are 14 modalities and uh, physical and economic, epistic, uh, and, 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 and that's part of our tradition. We also have this concept called sphere sovereignty that Abraham Kuyper um, famously talked about. 
Abraham Kuyper was the founder of the Free University in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. He also happened to be prime minister of the Netherlands for a while, founded two newspapers. He was a pastor, interestingly. So I would say our, our philosophical tradition here, outside of that, that historic, that all colleges sort of have this, this tie to the enlightenment and, and, and out, of, out of Greek thought, Dort specifically out of that reformational tradition um, contemporary thinkers in that way might be people like um, Jamie Smith, James K. Smith from, from Calvin, um, Richard Mao, uh, for, Emeritus President of Fuller Theological Seminary, Nick Waltersdorf um, was at Notre Dame as well as Calvin University. Those would be our intellectual um, predecessors at, at Dort. Okay, great. Um, so, uh, Follow-up question that kind of gets to some things that you've mentioned um, already um, when you talked about how you're absolutely committed to the core, core program. Um, what do you think a Christian education has in common with the liberal arts? Um, they're, if they're distinctive, you know, what, what sorts of things do you think that they, they have in common? Um, and what aspects of the liberal arts tradition um, has influenced what you're offering at Dort University? Sure. I, I do. This is where I think that that term we're very comfortable with the, the Christian liberal arts, because I think what the goal of a liberal arts education or a goal of a, a Christian university, a Christian residential, have kind of the same thing. And that is to shape students to be fully orbed humans. And again, as I talked to earlier, the liberal arts tradition might say that that's what frees you up. I would say ultimately what what makes us free is Christ's death and resurrection. But we do want to have our students be more than just whatever it is that they're more than just social workers, more than just engineers, more than just agriculturalists. We want them to be fully formed um, human flourishing. And that human flourishing under the kingship of Christ would be in the Christian tradition, human flourishing fully orbed in the, in the, the human sense for the liberal arts. So I think that's what we have in common is our goal is that we know our graduates are, are fully developed people. Again, maybe with a different telos, but but yet um, similarly situated. Um, and that's certainly where, where Dort would be in common with many, many schools that would call themselves liberal arts because of our strong core. You know, we, yeah, our, our philosophy tradition coming out of that Kuyperian worldview. Um, we actually at Dort have a common um, educational framework is what we call it. Um, that all of our courses are taught under that, that instead of looking at our courses uh, like a, a set of encyclopedias, if you will, off the shelf, now I'm going to take my theology class, now I'm going to take my philosophy class, now I'm going to take my English class, we tend to look at the curriculum, the core curriculum, as well as the disciplinary major that a student takes as one, looked at, um, we call it the creational structure, right, that we believe God has created a, a wide diversity um, and in an orderly fashion, so we can study them in different disciplines, but we really try to bring that unity of learning together, and I think is a little bit different in the liberal arts tradition in most places where it's thought of a little bit more encyclopedic, where there are these fine courses that line up, and, and over the course of four years, it'll all come together. Well, um, I wonder if that happens at, at, at even liberal arts schools rather than having a comprehensive framework, which ties the entire core as well as your major together. So that would be a little bit of a differentiator for Dork, perhaps. Okay, great, that's really helpful. Um, so you mentioned that um, 
I think your um, engineers basically get a minor in the humanities. Absolutely. Um, could you could you talk a little bit about your core program at Dort um, and um, what principles that that guide it and why it's important yeah, for students? Absolutely. About it's it's just under twenty years, but probably eighteen years ago or so, we were very fortunate to receive from the Lilly Foundation a was it was a vocationally um, a, a number of CCCU, CCCU schools got that grant, um, but they gave us some money to be able to rethink our our core, and it started out with a introduction to the core called Core One Hundred. The course is entitled Kingdom Identity and Calling, and there we're taking first year students. It's almost the first year seminar course, but again we frame it in light of Kingdom, God's Kingdom, and how big it is in the world. We open up to freshmen wow, this is a world that, that needs all kinds of people in it and, and has all kinds of opportunities. So we have kingdom then identity and we focus very specifically on the student doing things like strength finders from Gallup. Um, 20, I think the maximum size is 20 students per professor, many one-on-one -on -one meetings in that first semester at Dort, looking at the identity of the student, making sure they've got the right major or helping them move from undecided to maybe two or three different options. And then calling, we really are asking questions about, why are you at college? What do you think your calling is? So that's our core 100 um, program that every student takes. And that's a bookend at the beginning of their time to a course at the end of our core called Core 399. And that is, I believe it's called Calling, Task, and Culture, where we're saying, okay, now you're at the end of your journey and you've majored in nursing or teacher education or social work or engineering agriculture. You know your calling, and now how is that calling going to impact culture as you leave this place? And so we, we bookend our core with Core 100 and Core 399, calling, task, and culture. Like, what's your calling? What's our task as the church, the Holy Catholic Church? And what are we going to do to culture by graduating from here, bookended from kingdom identity and calling at the beginning? And so as those two bookends, then we have things like English theology, philosophy. We have an advanced reformed thought component where students can pick from um, an upper level course. We've got, of course, a, a two semester um, set of courses in, in history that um, are roots of Western worldview is kind of where we, we situate that. So the core really is, is a holistic one with yeah, individual courses and experiences along the way. That's great. Um, are there um, particular um, strengths that you see in the core program for students who are going into some of the programs that you have that are a little bit more removed from the traditional liberal arts, so like your engineering students, the pre-professional oh. programs? Tremendously. Um, <laughs> again, I mentioned, you know, our engineering students pass the fundamentals of engineering at, at Think our last rate was like 98% or something, 95%. Same thing in nursing. Um, our, our pass rates on, on the NCLEX exam are, are remarkable. What I hear from people who want to hire our engineers or our nurses is that our engineers bring with them a sensibility. It's, it's partially about communication ability, let's call them the soft skills, um, writing abilities for our engineers are exemplary. And what I see in the lives of our graduates is very soon in engineering firms, they're brought into leadership positions. And they're, they're, they're because they can, I think, if you will, um, they're more philosophical 
they're better writers, um, they're better communicators. They see the world in that that oneness more than just equations or stresses of a bridge or you know parts to be machined. I just hear that from employers and our alumni that that, that come back and say, "Now you trained me, you got me a good job as an engineer right out the door." But then, as I became a parent, as I became a volunteer in my community, as I as I sat on boards with other people, I realized. Wow, Dort actually prepared me to take on those bigger questions of life about, you know, that are way outside of engineering or in nursing or those kind of things. So I do see it in the lives of our graduates that they are out there. And part of that is the good students we get at Dort. I mean, again, I don't want to put so much on, oh, Dort make, you know, takes takes these, these, these very poor students and makes them into these wonderful people. But it is true that because of our core, no matter what your major is, I think we are preparing you to live a life, not just get a job. And, and um, I see both of those. That's really wonderful, especially since I think a lot of students, when they're freshmen in particular, um, come to our campuses and they're asking us, okay, why do I, you know, why do I have to, why do I have to take these courses that are in the core yeah. program or the gen ed? Or you know, and I, I just don't hear much. I've, I've, I've heard that here and there, you know, a student might, might be recruiting them out of high school and they think, well, I'm just going to go to community college and get my generals out of the way. I, I don't hear that uh, much here. Um, and in fact, if we ever do hear it in a recruiting visit, I always say, you know what, if anything, I'd rather have you at Dort for your core. And again, then I want you to stay for all four years. But if you, if you go and try to take your core elsewhere, at, let's say at a community college and transfer it in, you're actually missing out on, uh, and we're not the most transfer friendly school. Um, it's one of the things that challenges us a little bit is sometimes those students that have done that, they come and because of our core distinctiveness and our faculty to some extent haven't allowed for a lot of, we're transfer friendly, I don't wanna get you wrong, but there's still components to our core that you kind of have to have either at a, a CCCU school because we believe so strongly in the fact that when we're teaching English or college writing, yeah, we'll allow you to transfer college writing in from a community college. But we really hope not because our college writing class isn't just about writing. And we're putting faith formation, philosophical ideas into that college writing class that we really do think that our college writing class is, is distinctly Christian and different than what happens at a community college. And so, um, yeah, I can't remember what the question was, but I like my answer. Um, no, I, you you answered it um, uh, perfectly. It was about um, the the students in engineering and pre-professional programs and kind of what what they're getting out of the core. Um, so um, I think you said that your um, core program was revised twenty years ago. Is that is that what, about twenty years ago? We we got the Lilly Grant twenty years ago to do a first year seminar and then. Okay. I did about that same time. We then took a look at the entire core. Um, that's true. So it's about 20 years since it's had any major revision, maybe 15 to 20. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so I'm wondering if um, you face pressure to change the core program to reflect, um, you know, things that students want. Sometimes that's less credits. Um, and, um, you know, if you consider those um, changes, um, positive or negative um, sure. and how, how you've responded to them as well? Well, Dort is absolutely committed to getting students done in four years or less. In fact, we're seeing now I would I would highlight our faculty in this one. 
our faculty now has developed every course but one, I think, in our core online. And so we're offering those now as dual enrollment sections to high schools um, if they want them. And, and we're starting to get some real good pickup on that. We're also, every summer, I think last summer we had 22 courses available online and probably 15 of those were our core. Same professors, um, same pedagogy, uh, again, delivered online as opposed to face-to-face, -face, but, but, but same quality. And we've tested that out when we first piloted this program, maybe six years ago, we piloted to make sure that the learning goals were just as um, robust. So we're seeing um, that piece of, because I'll throw a gun, engineering. Um, we do have the absolute minimum number of, of technical engineering and mathematics courses to allow to have an accredited engineering program. And I'll just tell you a funny story. The accreditors were here a couple of years ago when I was president and they, they, they said, you know, we're gonna accredit Dork, but we'd like to give you a little bit of feedback at the end of our visit. And I said, great. He said, you know, you have the minimum number of technical classes to, to be a ABET accredited school. We'd like you to consider adding one or two yet physics or mathematics courses into your engineering program. And I stopped him short. I said, but a couple things, a couple questions. I said, do you feel like the quality of our engineering grads meets the ABET standard? Well, of course, your pass rates are. I said, in talking to some of our alumni as they, they had their accreditation visit, you think that they're well prepared to be in the engineering? Said, oh, yes, yes, yes. I said, well, I said, either you change your accreditation standards to add it into the minimum number or take this recommendation out of your report. Because what I know about our students is technically they're well-prepared. And when I talk to employers or our grads 10 years out, they're so grateful that they had so much core because they realize that, that they're those bigger people, if you will. I said, so I'm sorry, I can't accept that in the accreditation report. And they took it out. Having said that, yeah, I mean, the infringement of more and more and more in whatever program it is, does tend to impinge on the core a little bit. And so we're trying to look for those opportunities without, without gutting the core to, to possibly make it more efficient. Um, that, that certainly is something that we're up against, but I, it's one of my favorite stories with the engineering. Yeah. yeah, and so that was coming from the accreditors. Do you hear um, that kind of feedback from the students? You know, I don't, I gotta tell you, I have every freshman over for dinner at my home. Historically, we've done it in groups of 40. And so my wife and I do 11 dinners every fall. This year during COVID, we had to split them into groups of 20 because the space in social distance. So we did 22 dinners. Um, I got so sick of hearing myself tell the same stories to the students. But when I'm at table with these students, I always ask them, what's your favorite class? And for instance, our teacher education majors will always say education 101. We have this sort of crazy superstar that teaches ed 101. He, he inspires people. But beyond that, almost the most popular class that I hear amongst our freshmen is our, what would be considered our equivalent of Western Civ. It's called Roots of Western Worldview. 55 students in the class, every freshman has to take it three different professors teaching in our history department. And when I hear an engineering or nursing or business major say that their favorite class in their freshman year is Roots of Western Worldview, well, what president has that? And that's the class where it was like, oh, I gotta go take Western Civ, right? And memorize these dates, and do all this. But this is Roots of Western Worldview. They're saying, here's a way to look at the world. And it comes from a tradition. 
and it's informed by scripture in the, in the Christian world. And these props just, just absolutely kill it. So I actually, it's a rare thing for me to hear students complain about the core at Dort. It truly is because we put our best professors on it um, in many ways. It's not, we don't adjunct it out much. We're, we're not a high adjunct school to begin with, but I think our faculties buy in to saying, if we're so about the core, then we need to sort of step in and teach it at, at its very highest level. And that's not just entertainment for the student, but when, when great education and meaningful learning goals with great professors are there, it doesn't become something that I can't wait to get done with my core class. Yeah, from time to time I hear a student, you know, I came in undecided, so all I'm, all I'm taking is core. And now there is that from time to time, but boy, I don't hear it much from our students. Yeah, that's wonderful. It makes me want to be in there with those professors teaching that class. Well, again, I would just highlight our history. And, and it, you know, I, I try to, whenever I hear that, I go back to the history pod on my way back from lunch and I say, hey, I had two more today. You know, a business major and a nurse said, Roots of Western World is your favorite class. Keep it up because those they just do it. Um, so I'd want to ask you about your ProTech program. Oh yes. Um, could you um, describe um, what the what the ProTech what the ProTech program is um, and why Dort decided to create these programs? Yeah, sorry. And if this gets too long, please forgive me. But I'll tell you how it first came to me. I, I a parent had come back to campus and their child had graduated from Dort maybe six, seven years ago, but they came to campus for something. And I sat down and had a cup of coffee with them. It was, you know, presidents do fun, fundraising, right? So it was a fundraising visit. And we sat there and, and one of their children had gone and gone to teacher education at a really, really fine CCCU school. One of their children came to Dort for social work. Uh, it happened to be two daughters but it's notwithstanding, it's not a gendered conversation. Two, their first two oldest daughters, one, one went to another CCCU school of teacher education, one came to Dork for social work, had great experiences, you know, fully, fully jumped into the, the core program and their major, and, and, and they couldn't say enough about it. And then a third child, it was a son, who came to Dork, studied general studies at first, I think tried a business major, and came home, I believe it was the middle of his junior year, and, and the parents said, you know, you have wonderful academic support at Dort. That's one of the things that I'd highlight is we're always getting named by U.S. News and World Report as an A school, uh, an A plus school for B students. We have a thing called the Aspire program where we take, I think, 50 students that wouldn't normally meet our requirements and pour into them in the first year. And, and their graduation rates are right on with others. So we always get, he was in that program. And they said, you know, academic support did a great job for, for this young man, but he was always a hands-on learner, struggled through high school, but we we're so glad he came to Dort. He made great friends, but he quit in the middle of his junior year because he came home in tears and just said, mom, I can't fake it anymore. You know, the writing of papers, the way that APA style or MFA style or whatever it is, it's just not me. I'm a hands-on learner. And so this mom, and he had left Dort, became a welder, eventually finished a bachelor's degree. But this mother said to me, why can't there be a vocational school with the residential component and a Christian worldview for my son? And he'd been gone 10 years. And it, you know, God just brought it to me right at that moment. I said, Dort's the perfect place to do that. We can do that. And I agree with you that we should have. Because as I look, and I, again, I fundraise, and, and some of the people I call on for fundraising are also helping donate to other CCCU schools. And it was a rejoinder that I'd heard from some donors as well. 
They said, Eric, you want to build, let's say, a new science building at Dort. Well, your other school was here, you know, two years ago. They wanted to build a new science building. If God's given us these resources, why do we need, you know, 20 great science buildings at 20 great Christian schools when none of you are doing a Votech program? And again, um, it struck me. So we quickly raised the money for the program. And it's a, it's a two-year associate of science degree. Right now we have two majors. We're going to be adding a third major. The two majors that we have right now are farm management. It's a variant in our ag department. But these are hands-on people that are driving tractors every day, feeding animals or out in the fields or working in feed mills and those kind of things. Uh, our other major is it's called engineering and manufacturing technology. These are people running CNC machines and lathes and, and you know, working manufacturing lines. Our third major is going to be what's called agricultural equipment technology, basically a mechanic. And these students go to class three days a week and then have two full days off of class and they work in industry here. And we're a little farm town of 7,500 people, but we have tremendous manufacturing. Pella Windows has a plant here in town. All the suspensions for Kenworth and Peterbilt trucks are built here in town. So these students can go into those industries and work two days a week. They get paid 12 bucks an hour. That counts for credit as well. And so in a two-year program, again, they're taking, it's a 60 credit program and they're three days a week in class. Some of those classes are core, some are technical, and then two days a week in hands-on internships. And you can't believe these students like that young man who, who quit Dort after his junior year, they don't get bored with school, if you will, or they don't give up on school, or they don't, they don't feel like they're failing somehow because they don't, they don't write. And we have core writing program, or core writing class within the ProTech program. They're writing more technically or memo format rather than you know, research papers. Because again, if they're going to be a, a frontline employee in one of those fields, they're going to have to write well, but it's going to be like an email, right, to their to their supervisor to say, "Hey, machine 26 is broken down. I've tried this, this, and this. Um, we need to bring in a technician." That's they have to write that well, and that's different than what. Again, I've got a PhD myself. I was a history and philosophy major. You know, I could fill a blue book at an exam like nobody's business. But these are not those people. But they're just. And Dort's the place that can do that for two reasons. One is we started as a two-year school back in 1955. We only changed over to a four-year school in about our 10th year of operation. We kept associate's degrees on our books forever. So you can get an associate's degree in Dort in, in secretarial science. That's what we used to call it. Now it's called uh, office administration. So we kept our two-year programs forever at Dort since our founding. And so we've never, I don't think, had this hierarchy that you know, PhDs and pastors are up here and, you know, janitors are down here. And that's a very reformed world and life that comes from Abraham Kuyper. He had a, he was a pastor, but he was very influenced by this woman called Picha Balthus, which she was a milkmaiden in his first church when he got out of seminary. And if you know Kuyper's biography, Picha said, Reverend Kuyper, you, you preach way up here and I'm a milkmaid. I don't understand. You need to bring it down here. But you also know everything about God, but you don't really know the heart of God. And, and Abraham Kuyper actually totally changed his whole ministry after meeting this milkmaid at his first church. And that's the, the and Kuyper in his history as prime minister even, he was known for caring for the Kleine Leiden, which in Dutch means the little people. 
And so Kuiper, and that, that's, that's come through the, the DNA of Dort University is that we don't make this distinction between, you know, that, that mechanic or the, the PhD in, in, in philosophy. And so, yeah, we're excited about this program. We're in our third year now. Um, our, we, to, we have a little different tuition um, structure to those programs, but also the student can earn about $15,000 through their internships in those two years. And so it's really exciting. And, and yeah, sorry, I could talk about that all day and I think I just have. No, that's really wonderful to hear all about that. Um, you answered, I think, one of my follow-up questions was um, whether there's a particularly reformed or Protestant flavor um, to these programs. Um, it made me think a little bit about, um, I was reading something about a 17th century Puritan writer, um, Thomas Beacon. I don't know if you know him, but he talks about, he reminds, you know, reminds um, his readers that Jesus was a carpenter, um, St. Paul was a tent maker, the apostles were fishermen, um, and uh, C.S. Lewis, Lewis has a great quote there too. It says, "The work of Beethoven and the work of a charwoman, which is a chimney sweep, um, become glory glorify God in the same nature. Is that the inherent why they're doing their work is what makes it glorify to God, not that they do their work on some kind of scale." So Lewis was in that tradition, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that also makes me think a little bit about um, Wendell Berry, who is a, a figure that, that a lot of educators like to talk to talk about. He's, um, he's he read says, a lot in our agriculture program. Really, is he? Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, so um, he, um, maybe you could say a little bit more about it, but but my understanding of, of some of his um, philosophy of human flourishing is that manual labor is part of being human. And so this is a, a really good thing to have a part of your life, a part of your education, whether that's in school or out of school. Um, yeah, what, do you know who, um, like what essays are, are being read or, no, or what's that I don't, but, but yeah. I will tell you this, we just hired a new director of student work at Dort, like last month, um, because what we're seeing is the students that can get large scholarships for, let's say a high ACT or being a great tuba player or in theater or in athletics, they're coming, but the ones that don't have those attributes. And so we're actually going to change our financial aid at Dort and we're going to put in much more substantial work study. Um, I mean, we're talking about serious money um, in work study if the students want to work 20, 25 hours a week on campus um, in, in maintenance, in, in, in a variety of, 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 of places. But we don't just want them to work. We want them to actually think about work through a Christian lens. And so this new director of student work will actually be almost the, hmm, the HR director for student work and will we'll have a curriculum of the, the nobility of work, even if you're washing dishes in the, in the, in the dining hall, that that's God glorifying work. And yes, it's helping you afford your studies and those types of things. And, and again, so we're, we're not going to become a work college, like a college of the Ozarks or a Berea, but we do think that there's something in the core the curriculum for our student work to be able to understand it in that manual labor window very sense. And so we're excited about that. That'll be starting in the years to come. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really great. Um, so the um, CCCU um, grant um, that we um, received and, and the title of this program is um, the Liberating Arts. Yes. Um, and so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how um, the ProTech program um, you think contributes to liberation. Um, so I think um, we have a lot of conversations already on how academic study and that, um, you know, the deep thinking and um, 
you know, what we think of as the traditional liberal, art, liberal arts, how that contributes to liberation, um, but vocational study and, and you know, what, we, what we think of as career training, um, how does that contribute to liberation? You're gonna to have to remind me of the author, but Hillbilly Elegy. Um, oh yeah, I don't know if I remember his name. Your, your listeners will know it, right? Um, and then as I think about even, we're, we're taping this a week before our elections um, here nationally, and I don't wanna get political, but you know, we talk about the Rust Belt states, or we talk about the forgotten, you know, American manufacturing worker or these kind of things. Um, I do think that if we're honest with ourselves as let's say you and I both have PhDs and, or even in the Christian context, you know, we, we do, we have a propensity to look past janitors and secretaries and we look to the pastor and the PhD and we, we do, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have a hierarchy, a caste system in our minds. And I think the ProTech program really does liberate that frontline worker, um, and I'll admit it, I've got some board of trustees members who, did, who didn't go to college. And when I've asked them to serve on our board, they're like, but I never went to college. I've just been, a, and that whole thing of, I'm just a manufacturing worker, or I'm just a, well, for that matter, just a housewife. I mean, I think that's so antithetical to what scripture tells us in terms of, right, um, Colossians 3, you know, whatever work you do, do it as if to the Lord and not working for men. Or, you know, um, I think it's in Romans and it might be also in Corinthians, right? That the hand shall not say to the eye, I don't need you. I mean, we need these people. But I think historically, because people who wear white collars and who write big reports and who understand financial statements if they're accountants, those are considered the high and mighty. And, and I think it's very, um, if you wanna talk about liberating to, to, to bring these students onto campus and to say, you're really, 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 smart in hands-on things and we need and they live in the dorms and they go to chapel and they can participate i just met two of our protect students one plays in our our orchestra and one sings in our choir and they 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 said to me he said my other choice was to go to votech school back home there's no band at votech school there's no choir at votech school and they're in the dorms and we don't have special dorms for protech students. They're just mixed in with the rest. And they, they go out on the weekends and they, they, they build relationships with one another. And I think that's very liberating for those. Students. But again, that's Dort's history that, you know, we never had big fights about whether we should have an agriculture department or an engineering department or a nursing department. Whereas I know at some of their very true, you know, pristine liberal arts universities, they don't like those programs in the same way. And some, some of them have never added those programs because they consider them to be whatever, second class. I, I'm not gonna get in that argument, but I think that's very liberating. That when we look at life and, and we look at God's ordered creation that we need, yeah, janitors and secretaries and we need plumbers and pastors. And, and, and that's very liberating, I think, for us to, to realize um, that, that our civilization is built off of all of these vocations and God's kingdom is built off all these vocations, doing their work, um, much like it says in Colossians, as, as work to the Lord and not unto men. I think that's liberating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a really um, wonderful response. It makes me think a little bit about um, 
in a lot of the circles that I run in, so I'm in humanities, um, that sometimes we talk about, um, oh, well, if you're, you know, if you're doing career training, that's somehow less than, you know, um, you know, other, you know, other endeavors that you might be, you know, pursuing with education. And I think that that's a problem and that might have the effect of, um, you know, making it seem like there's a difference between the janitor and the, you know, the lawyer, the, you know, the PhD or something. And, and yeah. that's definitely a problem. Um, One thing I will tell you about Dort that's unique. So I told you that we, we are here in a town of, of 7,500 people and it's about an hour to the nearest airport. So by virtue of, of just living here, our faculty go to churches and they'll be sitting in the pew next to somebody that works in one of these manufacturing facilities or is a farmer that milked cows or, or fed cattle before church. And so when they're having coffee after church, they have to have conversations with people who, who you know, put food on the table or, or that's their calling. And over time, I think our faculty, even if they you know, got PhDs from the very best universities in the East and never met a farmer before they moved here, because they go to church with them, they send their kids to school with them, they get to know those people and they really, really think these people are great. And then, then it gets away from that caste system. And I think our faculty really appreciate our pro-tech students, mm -hmm. engineering and ag students. It's just been in our DNA since the beginning. And I, I'm not sure that that's the same in every, uh, you know, again, I don't mean to pick any, pick any particular school, but I'm afraid sometimes we as, as learned PhDs can sometimes live in our own bubbles. And, it, and it's just not possible here in a town of 75 mm -hmm. because you get to know these people and you really realize mm, they're, they're wonderful kingdom citizens just like me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would say that as somebody who's in a rural area as well, that um, the, the place um, definitely helps break down some of those yeah. barriers. And that's been consistent with my own experience as well, um, which I think is a really good thing. Um, I um, read a um, article um, where you were quoted um, talking about oh. the ProTech program that I wanted to I wanted to just uh, ask you a little bit more about something that you said about the false sure. dichotomy um, between um, uh, college education and vocational programs. Um, could you could you say a little bit more about what you mean when you want to um, break that down? Well, I am, I am, you know, a couple of years ago, the federal government wanted to like equate all the schools in terms of the earning potential of your graduates. And they wanted to rank schools up. I'm absolutely against that. I mean, college education is not just a financial transaction between, okay, I'll give you this tuition and I come out and I'm going to earn this. I mean, that's just, that's just hideous. But yet I do think that we have to, we have to recognize that, that, you know, if you read Genesis, work is not something, work probably changed after the fall, but work was not something only given after the fall. Adam and Eve were created by God and were called to, you know, that, that, that cultural mandate of, of fill the earth and subdue it. Um, however, whatever translation you want. They were called to say, listen, God has created this, this, this world with all of its potential. And he gave us as his image bearers the opportunity to bring that forth, right? Um, they didn't have 
they didn't understand elemental compounds of methane or ethanol or plastics, or we can say whether plastics ever, should, I mean, in terms of creation care, but, but all that potential was in there. And it's not the fall that made us go to work. It's the creational, the original creation. God was like, I had so much fun creating this in six days, as good as it is, I've created you in my image and now you're going to take it from here. And I can't wait to see what you do with it. That's our vocation. You know, and I think we have such a terrible idea of work in the modern context because we all look at work as something, well, I only want to work 40 hours a week. Our work is something that that is every day. Sundays, our work should look a little different. But we've taken on these human ways of looking at work as something to be avoided. Our vocation needs to be our our full orb cultural development or, or creational mandate way. And boy, I've never worked a day in my life. I mean, I really haven't. I wake up in the morning like, what do we get to do? And I, that's what I imagine Adam and Eve, you know, going like, holy cow, what are we going to do next? And I think if we come at our work vocationally, looking at it not as something to be avoided, not as only something to pay the bills or to get to our retirement numbers so we can sort of relax. I mean, I don't know where that came from, from a Christian worldview, but we've bought into it. So sorry, you've, you set me off in a tangent. That <laughs> no, no, that's, that's for accepting the world's worldview about what work is or vocation is. And I think it's, it's absolutely damnable if, if we, if we don't reframe vocations from a Christian worldview that starts with the creational uh, norms um, and again, sin has impacted us. So work, work can be difficult and hard and broken. But boy, uh, I think, you know, I always say to our criminal justice majors, say, you're the only people in the new heaven and the new earth that I don't know what your jobs are going to be. But we're going to be doing engineering work in the new heaven and the new earth. We're going to be doing agriculture. We're going to be doing business. We're going to be doing nursing. I can see in the new heaven and the new earth, but I, I can't figure out. I think maybe the criminal justice majors are going to, you know, the doormen or the organ players or the choir masters. But anyway, that, that gets into a whole other <laughs> way of looking at eschatology from a reformed world and life view that uh, I think we're going to have work and vocations um, eternally um, without the effects of sin. Yeah, that is a really interesting question. Also, what are the criminal justice people going to be doing? I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, be, maybe some of them. crowd control, maybe. In the, in the yeah, maybe. Maybe Crystal C will need crowd control. <laughs> Maybe um, the CCCU grant that funded um, the Liberating Arts was called Between Pandemic and Protest, um, and so it has a, a, a timely element. The grant was written over the over the summer um, when um, there were um, lots of protests, you know, happening in in different cities in the U.S. Um, and also, of course, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, with um, keeping people, keeping people at home, canceling travel, um, you know, classes going online and things. Um, so I'm wondering if any of these um, things, you know, between pandemic and protest have um, changed your perspective at all on Dort's mission or reinforced its importance, um, you know, caused you to think about it in a little different way? I'll start with the pandemic because that's probably the most clear one to me. I do think that the pandemic you know, when I see people getting back into, I, I forget, like yarn sales and gardening sales were up, you know, through the roof at the beginning of the pandemic. Home improvement, people are like taking care of their physical place. I do think the pandemic has helped us sort of get off of a treadmill of modernity 
we were all chasing. I mean, I was on more airplanes in last January and February before the pandemic. And you kind of look at yourself now and go, do I need to be on all those airplanes? Do I need all this, this infrastructure around me? I do think the pandemic in this light of what is our, what is our image bearing and what is a full flourishing life? I do think the pandemic gives us that opportunity to be liberated maybe from this hamster wheel of progress and really look more at, at relationships and family and our, our, our spaces here when we're all kind of cooped up. And that's one aspect of it. Protests, you know, I would just say some of those protests are, are, are built around people feeling um, second-class citizens. And I think that, you know, if we do the liberal arts teaching well at our colleges and universities, I think we can understand, you know, what about pluralism. You know, I think of John Anazu's book, Confident Pluralism. I think of Rich Mao's Uncommon Decency. We're going to see things differently. And again, we're taping this the week before the elections. We're going to see things differently, but how do we, how can we um, use the liberal arts to teach things like Rich Mao's Uncommon Decency, a book I'd recommend, well, most of our students read it through a variety of courses here, or John Anazu's Cult, Confident Pluralism. We're going to have to figure out how to, even though we differ, and again, the, the protests were often about race, and that is an unacceptable difference to, to ever, you know, differentiate people about, but some of this is also just about different visions of, our, of, of the political uh, solutions to our ailments. And, and we're gonna have to learn to live. And I think the liberal arts can help us with that. Yeah, um, the um, interview that we recorded with Alan Noble um, for the Liberating Arts Project um, talks about that. So if you're interested in listening, it's a great one to, to look at how um, he talks specifically about how the liberal arts and reading and having an understanding of history and philosophy and um, social issues can help us think about these questions facing us in 2020. Yeah, um, that's, he said it much better than I, but that's... <laughs> yeah. Um, was there anything else that um, you would like to say about DOR or about your work that you think is relevant to this conversation? Yeah, only that I would encourage us all as CCCU schools um, whether it's the pandemic or the protests um, or just this kind of, you know, what we're seeing in terms of mental health um, amongst young people today or this feeling of lostness, we need to recognize that, that CCCU schools and the liberal arts tradition that we've talked extensively about in this interview, um, we are the great, one of the great hopes of the world um, because not only do we have education which can help liberate people, we also have the story of, of Christ and both the, the creational structure and the, the coming to completion in the new heaven and new earth, but also the, the death and resurrection of Christ and, and his. Um, so we have hope for, for a world that I think desperately needs it. And again, modernity and smartphones and, and social media and liking and Facebook. And I mean, it, we, we need to realize that the CCCU schools and, and the liberal arts tradition um, has an antidote for what ails us. Um, and I, I want us to all get out there and, and, and do our work uh, with robustness as well as hopefulness, because I, I think there's something very, very needed in a culture today. Um, that doesn't mean we all agree on everything we've talked about, but, but we are uh, part of the part of the solution and the antidote for what ails us as a society. And, and let's 
let's graduate those students and realize that that even in our brokenness and our failings, um, Christ is working in and through us to 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 bring those people out um, to help bring a cup of cold water in Christ's name and to um, heal. So. Thank you so much. That's a wonderful word to end on. Um, thank you so much for your time and for um, having this conversation. Um, and best of luck to you as you continue your work at DORT. Rachel, thank you for including DORT and myself in this. Um, blessings on your work as well. Thank yeah. you.